10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. No jingle it is. Well, that was a bit of an anticlimax, wasn't it? Hi everyone, I hope you are having a truly awesome Tuesday. If my jingles choose to work in a moment, that'll be great. If not, I apologize if you didn't hear it. Or maybe it happened briefly and you didn't hear it. Let's see if it let's see if it does want to play. I'm guessing not. Never mind. Well, hi everyone. I'm just gonna da, 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 the music myself. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be a good show, people. It's going to be a great show. So, hi, welcome. It's Tuesday. It's Gemma Drinker, and I'm live from Bristol this afternoon. And I've got a really cool show for you today. We are exploring what it's like to be a parent and a teacher. And this is going to be really interesting. It's going to be an interesting um, show for me as well because. I'm not a parent, so I've only got experience of the teaching half of it. So I'm really looking forward to um, speaking to other teachers who are parents and exploring what it's truly like to be both a teacher and a parent. And the reason why I really wanted to explore this is, you know, I'm all about the boundaries, all about the teacher well-being. And it's just really interesting to hear from different people how they choose um, to balance the different areas of their life and what really makes them tick, I suppose. And as we all know, you know, teacher well-being is increasingly in the news, so is mental health. Um, and teaching can be a full-time job or more than full-time job, and so can parenting. So it's going to be cool to see how people balance that. And I'd love to hear from you as well, the listeners, if you have any tales of teaching and parenting balancing as well. So before we get started with our um, full show, I'm going to try and play um, the news just to see if it works. Um, I can see Tom is with me. So Tom, if you could let me know if it's making any noise, that'd be utterly amazing. And uh, we'll go from there. I'm guessing the news isn't playing, so never mind. But it's good to have people here. Hey, hey. Right, so no news, no ads, <laughs> no jingle. Oh, it's it's just me, folks. It's just me. So let's get started. So one of the key questions I really want to explore with you today is how compatible is it to be both a teacher and a parent? And I don't mean compatible in like a morally good thing, like, you know, whether it's right or wrong to be both a teacher and a um, parent, but more like how does one make both aspects of it work? And it's going to be interesting. I've got a couple of guests who hopefully will be able to hear clearly today. Um, and it's going to be really cool to hear their thoughts. But I feel that and my instinct, I suppose, is that it's very challenging to do both. You know, it's a complete balancing act, not only of your um, workload, but also, you know, your home life as well. And 
it's it's always funny because when I used to speak to colleagues who were teachers, you know, they always kind of felt like they spent more time with other people's kids than they did with their own. And some of their children went to um, our school and, you know, they'd come and hang out in the classroom at the end of the day. Um, kind of like that that motion of, of waiting, I suppose, um, for the parents to finish work. And it's, you know, I mean, I remember doing that as a kid myself, but, you know, my mum didn't work um, as a teacher, you know, on a Friday, we'd go sit in the car park and wait for her to finish work. And sometimes she could take ages. And it's like that whole thing of what, what do we, what is the impression that we are wanting to give our children? Um, and and how do we kind of, yeah, find that balance, I suppose. And there is an assumption when um, people talk about, you know, teaching and parenting and people think that actually it goes hand in hand. You know, you've got the school holidays and you've got the times as well. You know, that the school time, so you are meant to finish work at the same time as your kids and you can go home and have a lovely evening together and the weekends are you know you're not balancing like shift work or anything and the reality is that actually you know that is more of a burden and yeah it's it's actually really difficult and then often when you get to you know the summer holidays or the half term break you are wanting to rest and recuperate when actually your kids are at home as well and so any like downtime is then um, not lost, but is then spent doing energizing things with your children instead. And again, I suppose it makes a difference as to how old your um, kids are as to how much, you know, they rely upon you or rely on you for entertainment or care. And the reality is that, you know, the childcare, the workload, um, it can just lead to pure exhaustion at any given point, really, or at least that's my impression, I suppose, of it as, as someone who hasn't um, worked both as a teacher and as a parent. And I think there's also this um, idea that we are we should explore, and I'm conscious that so far the audience that I've got appears to be mainly male. Apologies if there are um, any females there that I haven't identified by the um, names, that that burden typically falls to women. And I don't just mean like the actual doing workload, like, you know, doing the laundry or the cooking or the cleaning or anything like that. But it's also just that kind of mental um, burden as well. That, you know, that kind of stereotypical joke of, you know, someone asks a guy what they're doing the week and they go, oh, I don't know, honey, am I doing anything? And it's kind of like the woman's role to remember the things or remember where everyone's going to be or what time, you know, the sports classes are on and things like that. So that kind of just can, and I'm not saying completely does, but it can lead to um, a greater burden, particularly for women. And it's also really interesting when you look at the statistics around um, teachers who are leaving education, because there is a bit of a correlation, particularly with um, women. So more than half the teachers leave in the classroom who go on to look after family, um, choose not to return to the classroom. So that is a, a huge proportion of um, our expertise in, in the sector being lost 
but more specifically, women aged 30 to 39, they make up 27% of the teachers who leave education each year. Now you may be like, okay, well, that's, that's no big, but that's the second, you know, that's the biggest proportion of people as, as a group after retirees. And that actually amounts to over 6,000 women each year leaving the profession. And it does give this impression that teaching and parenting, particularly of young children, is not compatible. And that's a real question for um, school leaders, but also actually, you know, like um, higher up, like the Department of Education, like how are you meant to engage and um, support these members of staff, these really valuable people that you are then risking losing going, you know, losing from the sector altogether. And that gender difference as well of, of the women leaving, that then goes on to be told as a story, like as you go further up the education um, system. So, you know, like senior leaders, although there is a larger proportion of women in the classrooms, there is a larger proportion of men who are senior leaders. So I know I've gone a little bit off task because we're talking about parenting and teaching today, but it's it's going to be interesting to explore what actually is what is actually like not only causing this, but how do we engage people to stay in teaching as well? Because the assumptions that we've got, you know, of that schools are beneficial for parents. That's not always the case. Some schools obviously are going to be absolutely amazing for that, but others are not going to be so good. So this real question does lie for school leaders, you know, what culture and support are you providing for teachers who are also parents? And again, that's, you know, I can I can hear the people who aren't teachers go, well, you know, that's all very nice for them, you know, give them like days off, like sports days or, you know, nativity plays or whatever. And what about us? And I'm, I mean, I partly hear that because I'm like, yeah, you know, it's it's like that old old thing of like, you know, people used to be allowed to go have cigarette breaks. You were allowed to go have a cigarette break, but you weren't allowed to go have a 10 minute break to do something else if you weren't a smoker. I don't mean that in education, but like, you know, like wider, like corporate offices and things. It's, it's a case of equity. It's a case of um, knowing that, each of your staff members has got um, different needs, different backgrounds, and trying to support and cater them as much as possible. Um, whilst being fair to everyone, but, you know, kind of treating each person as unique as, as far as you can um, to create that positive culture, um, that supportive culture that schools and then the students as well can thrive in. Because let's face it, you know, if we've got a, a positive culture within the adults, then you're going to have a positive culture within the student um, community as well. So it might be that, you know, you you offer like additional days off that teachers can select for like nativity plays or sports days or, you know, school performances or whatever. But knowing that as a um, parent, you may not get your request um you know, you may not receive your request as a positive outcome. It may be that actually that particular day, it doesn't work. But again, having that like flexibility where you can like meet people um, in the middle. So 
yeah, that's kind of like some of the stuff that we're going to be exploring in today's show. Um, again, I'm really sorry that so far I've not managed to get the music or the news or the ads to work. So I will try that again in a second, see if it does work. Um, but in the meantime, I would be loving to hear from you guys. So, you know, are you a parent? Are you a teacher at the same time? And how do you find that balance? You know, how do you balance the two roles? So I'm sure you can hear me typing. Um, would love to hear you guys. That'd be great if you can give me some um, responses as we go. I'm going to try the news and things again in a second, see if it works. Um, I have an amazing interview um, or two interviews um, today. One of them, definitely for sure, um, as that will be a live interview. The second one is a um, recorded interview, which, you know, as everything isn't working at the moment, um, is less uh, useful, but I'm really hoping that I can find a way to play it to you because um, speaking to this is Danielle West that I spoke to, who is a truly awesome um, teacher who began her PGC whilst her um, son was eight months old. And, you know, that that whole, you know, many people, I suppose, kind of go into teaching and then they become a parent later, whereas Danielle did it the other way around and like went into her BGC knowing full well that she was parenting a young child. And it's a really brilliant discussion about boundaries and what it takes to find that balance. And that is, you know, really, um, it's a really brilliant interview and I really hope that I can get it working for you guys. Dorian, great to hear from you. So you teach secondary, but you have primary children and trying to teach them during lockdown was eye-opening. That is a very good point. Um, totally forgot, but it's bad that I forgot about lockdown. Is that a really bad thing? Um, it feels so long ago, even though it's still fairly current. Um, yeah, I mean, that's actually a really good point to raise, Dorian. You know, how do we actually, um, you know, how do people even balance the parenting, the teaching and the homeschooling at the same time? And Andrew's chipped in as well. So no schoolwork at home in front of the kids as much as possible. That's a really good um rule to live by Andrew yeah because it I suppose it kind of gives that impression isn't the right word but I'm floundering slightly today so giving the impression that you know your time with your children is valuable and that they are valuable um rather than the negative impression or another impression of that you you know, you need to prioritize other people's kids before your own kids. So that's really cool to hear. Do keep your thoughts coming, everyone. No music, never mind. So um, another thing that I really want to explore in this show today is actually, does being a parent make you a better teacher? And that is a quite contentious topic oh Andrew straight in there with no no it does not thanks Andrew you were very quick there and, and so I was reading an article by Emma Kate Stokes who is a English teacher I believe and she gives some really interesting point does being a teacher make you a better parent good good point Dorian does it work both ways it's this assumption, I suppose, about the qualities and, and this transference of qualities. If you 
um, are a parent, the assumption is, particularly as a mum, sorry guys, but I am kind of mentioning the the female aspect, obviously, that you are going to be, um, once you're a mum, you are more, um, you know, you're kinder, you're more patient, um, you're calmer, you understand um, the needs of the children, particularly like younger children, much better. Um, and the thing is like that, yeah, that may be the case that maybe you are more patient, maybe you are more, I don't want to say more caring, but you kind of empathize more with the needs of your children, a little bit more having had your own children. However, um, Stokes makes this really good comparison that, you know, we don't argue that a doctor who's had cancer is better at treating cancer. You know, I mean, that that whole thing of whatever you experience, yeah, you've got you've got maybe a better understanding of it. But that also doesn't mean that you've got a better understanding of other people's experiences that just happen to sound similar to yours. Um, but you know, teachers have extensive training. You know, we've got PGCs, we've got BAs, MAs, MPQs, all sorts of qualifications. Um, that actually teachers do know what they're doing without having to be a parent. But what I also took away from that article was that it's not, you know, it's it's obviously not black and white, but actually as teachers kind of discovering our own superpowers, you know, whatever it might be that is um, what you uniquely bring to the table. And maybe as a parent, you do bring an, a deeper understanding maybe of um, the experiences that ch- children are having Um, maybe you do bring a greater sense of patience. You know, those all might be your superpowers from your own background. But speaking as a teacher who is not a parent and chooses not to be a parent, you know, I'm kind of thinking, well, what are my superpowers? What what do I then bring instead? And and it all comes from your own life experiences, which reminds me that we as teachers need to remember that we're human beings first and we're we're not just a teacher you know we've got things that have happened before we became a teacher that we can draw upon in our own classrooms and I suppose my example would be like you know my brother is um, autistic and again I don't know if this makes me a more patient person or better at communicating or um, greater empathy or whatever those things are it's certainly ideas that people have given to me. Um, but again, it's it's how you then choose to use it. And um, what I mean by that is that we're, we're, because we're all unique and because we draw on our own life experiences, none of us have the exact same life experiences. Um, and so if you are able to draw upon your experiences, that that is that makes you a better teacher, that makes you a better person, that better understanding. But it's very difficult to then objectively say to another person, ah, because you're a parent, you must be a better teacher. Or because you're a teacher, it must make you a better parent. And Dorian, I really like the fact that you've reminded me that it works both ways. Um, And actually, you know, Andrew's straight in with saying that, no, being a, a parent doesn't make you a better teacher, but I would love to hear what other people think as well and I, I think that the the one of the main arguments of, of Stokes's article is that you know 
the whole idea of professional standards that you know to be a better teacher you need to be a parent or by being a parent you are a better teacher it just completely doesn't work with the whole concept of professional standards because we don't have people come onto the pgc and be like oh are you a parent oh well you'll be a better teacher um that's just it just doesn't feature whatsoever and i suppose what comes to mind then is do we actually um do we need to separate our personal and professional lives even more like do we need to just not actually consider at all who we are outside of the classroom and simply be a teacher in the classroom we're going a little bit philosophical here guys we're going into like dualism um a little bit a bit of descartes um but yeah, how much of ourselves do we bring into the classroom? And is it even possible to avoid bringing ourselves into the classroom? Spitballing ideas here, guys. It's going a bit deeper than I thought it would do today. So that's that's quite cool. But ultimately, you know, all of our life experiences, they do shape us in some way. And one is not better than the other, which I thought was a really good, um, well, concluding thought from, from Stokes. So yeah, that that's like a bit about like, does being a parent actually make you a better person? Uh, a better person, oh, that was a different thing. That was a bit of a slip, wasn't it? Does it make you a better teacher? Um, and exploring this whole theme of like parenting versus teaching and whether they work together or not. Um, Emma Kell wrote an article in uh, on Tez back in 2018, um, but you know, still relevant, that you can be a great teacher and a great parent. And it's perfectly possible to be good enough parent and good enough teacher, but you have to say goodbye to perfectionism. Um, Does that resonate with you? That whole idea of perfectionism? Does it work? Is it possible to be both a parent and a teacher and to be perfect or at least strive for perfection? I feel in my own experiences that perfectionism was um, quite a deep flaw in the end because in striving for perfectionism and being the very best that I could be and et cetera, et cetera, that was how actually I, I completely burnt myself out as a teacher. So how do you, like, if you are naturally inclined as a perfectionist, how do you reduce that expectation on yourself and sit happy with knowing that you're you're good enough and good enough is you know doing the right things maybe not to as high standard as you are capable of but given the time and the energy um that you have available to you it's the very best that you can do and i think that's really difficult as a teacher and as a parent because obviously we want to do as much as we can for our children as we can and you know as a teacher we we go into teaching to be with the students and to help students and and to be there to help them to excel so is there a bit of a i don't know deception or something about then going into the classroom being like this is good enough Am I spinning, I may be spinning a negative connotation on, on good enough, I suppose. But how do you, how do you sit with that um, changing of, of expectations? 
And I suppose my next question for you or is, you know, did your expectations um, change when you became a parent? If you are a parent, if you are not a parent, you know, do you think they would change if you became a parent? Um, and also, you know, let me know how so. Because, again, it's a really important discussion, but it's one that I, I really can't give multiple perspectives on in a way because I am only a teacher and I don't mean only in a derogatory way for anyone who's listening who isn't a parent but I'm only bringing one side of this um story rather than both sides so I've waffled quite a bit today and I'm hoping it's still engaging and interesting to you I'm going to attempt an attempt is a key word here, to play my interview um, that I did yesterday with Danielle West, who is a truly awesome teacher who also has a um, young son who she, um, who was eight months old when she began her PGC training. So I'm going to attempt this. Hopefully it will work. It is a really awesome interview. Um, I'd really appreciate if someone could tell me whether it works or not, whether you can hear it okay. So bear with me. I've got to do a bit about adapting. You know what would help? This may, this may help. Bear with me, guys. It's totally worth it, I promise you. She says with enthusiasm. Really hope it works. So, hi, Danielle. Thank you so much for joining me um, today for Teachers Talk Radio. How's it going today? How, how's your day been? Yeah, it's been good. Full day today, so always a very full-on one. <laughs> Bless you. And on the Monday as well, it's just... That's so good. <laughs> um, so, tell me about your your situation. What is your like parenting teaching situation at the moment? Um, so, when I first decided to become a parent, my little boy was eight months old. So he was uh, become a parent, become a teacher. I'm impressed with that. How did you do yeah, that? When I became a parent, I, he was eight months old. No, when he first when I first decided to become a teacher, he was eight months old. So we put him into childminders, all that kind of stuff. I did my PTC year with a very very small child who had lots of very very big demands um i did my nqt year in a coventry school so inner city coventry which brings its own challenges with itself Um, and i was very lucky to have the opportunity to get a lead kind of in a few different subjects so in my nqt year i had quite a lot of responsibility as well as still having very very small child Um, and then obviously recently i have I've moved school after that point, but I've just been offered a promotion at a different school to head my own department, still with very, very small child, who now turns three in January. That's amazing. Congratulations, firstly, on your career. On That's amazing. And, and how have you found this balance? Because obviously, I mean, many people choose to become a parent after they have been a teacher but you've kind of done the other way and gone, yeah, actually I'm a parent and, and now the, now I'm going to be a teacher. What, what was part of that decision for you? 
Um, to be fair, I am the most backwards person known to man in terms of I actually applied for my teacher training and then two weeks after I applied for my teacher training found out I was pregnant. So I wasn't able to complete my teacher training that year. So it wasn't as much the decision to have a child and train to teach. I'd already made the decision to train to teach. And then we had, we fell pregnant. We didn't think we were going to fall pregnant for ages, as you do. <laughs> and then it happened very, very quickly. So I delayed my training to teach for a year. But I think for me, the bigger decision was I then had to decide whether I still wanted to go into teaching with a very small child, knowing all of the demands and the time-consuming elements of teaching. Um, I'm very fortunate that my husband is also a teacher. So we are in a bit of a weird situation. We both train to teach at the same time. We are slight nutters in fairness. Um, but it wasn't necessarily a decision of parenthood and a child, but parenthood and teaching. It was a decision of, can I still do this being a parent? which it's been tough and it's, it's particularly at the start of my, because I am at the start of my career, there are lots and lots of challenges, but I've found some really nifty ways to kind of balance my life and get enough time with my little one and teach and produce decent, half decent, I like to say, lessons. Half decent, I mean, half decent is what anyone strives for. I mean, half decent is where I'm going right now. <laughs> it is a good place to be, that is totally cool. So actually, I mean, it's it sounds like it, it was kind of a similar thought so, as what someone who is starting teaching and going into being a parent is like, of how, how am I going to manage everything? But then you've, you've got the reality like immediately rather than a couple of years down yeah. line or whatever may happen. It was very much... Um, my little boy wasn't going anywhere <laughs> so I had to through my PGCE year as well as learning to teach and to manage behavior and to differentiate and all those lovely buzzwords that we know I also had to manage how I deal with toddler tantrums which are not fun and how to deal with my toddler constantly wanting time and all that kind of stuff so I'm in the probably hardest way for myself that I possibly could like you said I had the child and the teaching all at once rather than a slow progression into learning the job and then having the child that came along with it yeah and, and you're right those are big learning curves for anyone so I mean seriously have I had a hat right now hats off to you because I mean, I always generally thought that about parents who were teachers anyway. I'm just like, I can barely look after myself. And there's only me. Um, and thankfully, my partner does half the looking after for me as well. So it's, it's always amazing to hear how parents and being a teacher at the same time is, is, is juggled. And you mentioned that you have some tips. Of what, what are the things that you've picked up along the way that have helped? I think I've had a few things other teachers have really helped me. So I've had a few other teachers who are able to tell me the progression as your child gets older, like make sure you do this or that. So one of the things a really amazing teacher told me in my ACT, sorry, my PTC year actually, and she had a teenager at the time, so a very different stage to what I was going to say. But she said, make sure you always take time out, like family time out and you turn the emails off, you switch off completely, and you are just with your family. 
Um, and I kind of took that with me. And since then, I've kind of developed it as I've gone through teaching. So I don't do work when he's awake. I do work at work as much as I possibly can, other than we're coming up to mark marking, and we all know that infiltrates your home life. Yeah. Um, yeah. But generally, I do work at work. And if he's up, neither myself nor my husband is working. He never sees us work because we want it we always wanted it to be that when he was having time it was his time it wasn't our time to like quickly check my emails because so and so students emailed me about the homework that they can't get access to it was that separation of work and life which don't get me wrong it's hard but i i kind of think that having a child particularly a small child for me was a bit of a blessing in disguise because it forces me, not just because obviously children are blessings, but it forced me to balance. Rather than working till midnight, one o'clock in the morning, I was sat there thinking, my child's going to wake me up at six. I am not feeling this. It is not happening. So it kind of forced me to, to gain a balance much faster. And I suppose if people don't have children, then Take it from someone that is a parent, take every moment you have and make the most of the free moments you have. If you are someone who likes to read, read a book. <laughs> if you are someone that likes to go for walks or would travel the world, do it. Because when you're a parent, I balance all of those things in with having my child. And I think one of the ways we particularly did it as both of us being teachers in, in our relationship is we both show my little boy things we enjoy. So I will sit and read because I love reading. I'm a massive reader. I will sit and read rather than watch the TV. And then he sees me read. And as a social science teacher as well, I know that the rates of reading and literacy in boys is quite bad and quite low. And as a teacher generally. So I encourage him to come and read with me. So he enjoys the pleasure time with us. I suppose a lot of it is to do with the fact that I'm in social sciences. So psychology teaches us so much about attachment and making sure you're engaged with your child because as soon as you disengage the negative effects it can have. And sociology teaches us all the, the socialization and all that kind of stuff that we know as teachers because you taught it in your PGCE year, Piaget, Vygotsky, all those big names. And I suppose what it's kind of done and the tips and tricks for me are listen to what I've been taught about teaching and apply it in my actual life. You can't do 60 kajillion things at once. It's okay to slow down and to take a breath. That is so cool to hear. And it's so refreshing as well because, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to like my NQT year and, and, and I don't have children. So I didn't have any like additionals like I could just throw myself completely into the job and actually that was my downfall in the end where I was just I didn't know how to switch off from the job and I didn't know who I was unless I was mistreating call in the classroom so actually I really understand that that blessing in disguise kind of emphasis because that skill that teachers really do need to learn because the job isn't everything is something that actually you've you've been forced to learn but actually you've made it into your own as well and it sounds like a really lovely situation really in a way yeah it's not because i still obviously i still have the stresses i still have the strains um tags and cags if they could never come back would be wonderful i do not miss them 
please don't bring them back government if you're listening to this um and we still i still have all those stresses and strains and i think and something because obviously i'm on your Twitter and all that kind of stuff and the well-being and the mental health element it's something that's so important and often because I think something that we look at is what can schools do to to support and all that kind of stuff and there's often not an emphasis on mental health or well-being mm -hmm. even more so for someone who's got extra responsibilities whether that is parenthood or whether that's looking after even like an elderly relative or an aunt or an uncle there's so many different things that happen in people's lives and i think sometimes as teachers we forget we're human and we're allowed to be human and that's okay yeah totally absolutely agree and it's often actually when those human things turn up that everything kind of gets tossed up in the air and that's when you remember what's actually important to you um, rather than being swept up in the in the day-to-day -day of, of teaching. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's always trying to keep in mind those really important things. Ultimately, I think we all get into teaching to help the students. I know that, don't, I'm sure there's someone out there that got into teaching for the money and then possibly realised it wasn't all there. Um, <laughs> It's always one, isn't that? But we all get into it because we like to spread our knowledge, whether that's primary and it's all the socialisation and the don't do that, don't hit Johnny, all that kind of stuff. Random name, by the way, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, or secondary because you're genuinely passionate about your subjects. The whole reason I came into teaching is because I genuinely feel that sociology and psychology, which are my two subjects were my specialisms, they have such an impact on our society and on our world. That's the whole reason I got into it. So if I can do that and then also learn from it and balance my home life, I feel like I've came away kind of, that's a good week for me. Yeah. And actually that utilising what you teach in your home life and, and everything else, that's basically emulating exactly what you want to go into teaching to do. Yeah. So that's 100%. really awesome. Yeah, nice. Even if it just drives my other half insane that I use psychological studies on why we shouldn't do certain things with our child. <laughs> there's subject knowledge and then there's subject knowledge. Yeah, there's like a whole new level of annoyance and I think I'm starting to breach the whole new level of annoyance with attachment and disinhibited and so on and so forth. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, as, as your son gets older, like, how are you going to manage the fact that he's going to be awake? for longer hours like how are you going to manage that not exactly hiding the work from him but being present with him when he's around I think it's I think for us something we've discussed is that idea of we have we all have work time and we all have play time so work time obviously when he gets to a teenager play time could be him sat on an xbox with a headset on and then I don't have to worry about it um but as he gets a little bit older into kind of sevens eight so on so forth i think we've kind of discussed the idea of we're going to have work where he's going to have homework from primary school and we all sit and do it at the same time so it almost everything becomes a very modern family approach to we do it together um and as much as we possibly can and then we also spend our leisure time together something that we do um that we find generally works for us is each weekend is kind of planned out a month in advance you have to be very organized but so i know what's going on in december already on every single weekend and it means we book in grandparents we book in uh, party, kids parties 
all those kind of extra things we're just starting to get back to kids parties now covid's kind of i want to say clearing up but i don't think that's ever going to happen um so we now plan out our months and months ahead um so we know where we're going and we will split everything out so playtime is playtime work time is work time and we will all do it that way as well hopefully he'll do his homework and not get told off by teachers which would be nice if i'm honest as a teacher i feel like getting phoned up from another teacher to be told that your child hasn't done something that they were supposed to do just hits differently (laughs) it's like an additional insult somehow (laughs) like you you, you're a teacher right yeah stop reminding me that he's not done his math i know i will do it But I, th- I mean, I think you said that that word modern family. I mean, actually, that's really crucial. I mean, what I, as as I work with teachers to help them create clear boundaries, which is literally what you were talking about. You were like a star student right now in my head. Um, <laughs> to to love teaching again and, and thrive both inside and outside the classroom is is this whole actually planning ahead and saying stepping off the teacher treadmill for a short period of time to go. What the hell am I doing this term? plan it all out and then it's done and then you're like ahead of time giving yourself permission to enjoy yourself switch off from school switch on for school and it's yeah you are literally emulating everything that I, that I work on with teachers so I am loving this conversation this is great. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's it's really awesome to hear so like what what is yours what is it that school is doing to help you with this process is there anything that school is doing to help you with this process i think school is generally quite good in terms of and i think education generally has very much gone this way that it's very organized now the you know when you've got meetings you know when you're staying late if you book something in extra that's your choice so i do like extracurriculars but the where i am at the moment it's quite good that we can do extracurriculars in the morning before school oh my lights have just gone up. Um, <laughs> before school rather than um, after school. So I don't constantly have to use my time after school. So I work with another teacher. We do like a boxing club with some of the students. Nice. Um, and we'll run it from eight o'clock till half eight, which is quite nice because not only is it cathartic, but it sets you up for the day. So you've already had that boost of adrenaline of all those lovely kind of hormones that are there for you um and it kind of yeah so school for me kind of it's all about the organization if school can tell me a really good calendar and say you need to be here 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 and here i can work the rest of my life around that our school also has a process where i currently am that you don't send emails until 7 a.m and you stop at 7 p.m which is quite nice because your phone's not we all link our phones up now and your phone's not buzzing every two seconds. I know where I go, where I'm going, sorry, has a slightly different approach. They go for, you can send emails whenever, but don't expect the other person to respond, mm. which I still think is a very, very good approach because I almost think that counters in for people like me who don't work until after seven o'clock. Sometimes when my little boys run to bed at seven, if I desperately need to do work, I haven't picked my laptop up until then. So if I can quickly send an email off rather than wait until the next morning, which let's be honest, I'm going to forget. And then I'll send that email off halfway through the day and it'll be too late. So I kind of like 
I think there's, there's a middle ground between what works for people. I think rather than saying only send emails between blah and blah, say, do you know what? Send emails whenever you need to send emails that works for your life, but don't expect the other person to change their life. I almost feel like that's a, a really good approach to understanding that we're all humans. Now, I think school is, is a mixture of an organised school is lovely, you know in advance, and also that having an approach of your staff are humans, they're not numbers, they're not codes that you put into SIMS, they are a genuine person who has their own, they're going to have good days and bad days and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, that human element of it, and again, I suppose that's kind of like your psychology, sociology background coming in there. Um, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely vital, you, you, you're completely right. It's, oh, what, what's the thoughts that are coming to my mind? <laughs> my mouth is going faster than my brain can actually keep up. It's such a bad feature that I have. Um, you the teacher trait. <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of reel it up and you're like, oh, what was I saying? Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, it's that element. Actually, it's the simple things. It's the little things that really can make a, a big difference. Um, so yeah. having that organisation. And if, I mean, one thing that I like is actually having a automated email yourself is saying you know I do actually respond to emails but not right now I'll get back to it later um yeah. just so it is you're right being human to human and also giving both yourself permission to switch off but giving the other person's permission to switch off as well and say when is good for you because as teachers yeah we've got our set school times but after that it's really up to us when we choose to work yeah 100% I think that's why I like this idea so much of you send it when you want don't expect an immediate reply don't expect me to come back to you like yeah of course i'll do it now it's very open to interpretation yeah it's the saying no but in a way of the way of saying yes in a way of yes i will yeah. get back to you but it's on my terms right now rather than 100 yeah so i mean you've given us some amazing tips today on, on how to find that balance how do you see it going for yourself as 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 your son gets older and, and going into this new additional role? I think um, I'm fortunate because my other half's ahead of a subject already, so I kind of know what's coming. Um, but I think it's about finding finding the right place for you. So we talk a lot about our view as teachers and our pedagogy or, or pedagogy or our is it hurtagogy now as well that's coming out and all these various different things that come about um, and I think it's it's a mixture of in future kind of looking forward five-year plan it's finding the school that matches your ethos to the, not just your teaching but your personal ethos your life and somewhere that can give you that getting a bit of perspective give you that perspective on balance and i think schools are, have came a long way since the 1920s where women had to do it and they weren't allowed to date and all that kind of stuff um, and i think as my son gets older he already says he wants to be a teacher that's if you ask him what he wants to be when he grows up he says he wants to be a teacher like mommy and daddy um, and we just want to keep that going for him, that work ethos that he can take in for anything, but work ethos that fits him. Not, my mum used to say, and I don't think it'll ever leave me, that idea of you don't live to work, 
you work to live. Mm. And I think that will be what stays with me as, as my little boy gets older, that I am working to give him a better life. So as soon as it doesn't work for me, that's when I need to think about what I'm doing in my job. My family comes first. As much as I love my job, and my job is a second family, family at home will always be my first port of call. Well, what's coming to mind is you've you've got your head screwed on right, <laughs> which I know is a bit of a random phrase, but you've got such brilliant perspective and brilliant, like, yeah, just so level-headed of recognising the importance and of being a teacher and, and what it means to you, but also acknowledging that it has its time and space in your life and um, your home life has its time and space and, and is you know elevated above it and that's that's okay and yes. presumably as, as a subject lead in your next school that's something you'll be advocating to the people in your department as well a hundred percent um I know the department I'm going into as well and I know there's children in their family and all that sort of stuff and I I always said that if I was to get that role, if I was lucky enough to, and work hard enough to get it, I wanted to be the subject lead that knew the birthdays of their staff members and knew when they had an event coming up and all that kind of stuff, just to, to bring that element of home. We spend more time with our colleagues than we do with our family. So I think it's really important that we remind each other that it's okay to have bad days. It's okay to feel stressed or overwhelmed, whether that's because something's going on at home or something's going on in school. Um, I remember the old phrase, leave your baggage at the door. But I don't think that works anymore. I don't think it works in a modern society. I think it's an old fashioned term of events. I think now we talk about it a lot more and by talking about it, we create much better, more open workspaces that actually, I think students enjoy more because we enjoy teaching more, which means they enjoy being in our classroom more, which is what we want. Yeah, it, it all comes back to the students and it serves them if we serve ourselves as well. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Thank you, Danielle. It's been so amazing to talk to you. I really hope your new role goes brilliantly. Um, thank you. And thank you so much for your time. No problem at all. Thank you very much. Cheers. So I really hope that you managed to hear that interview with Daniel West successfully. Um, and I really hope that you took a lot from it because it, I absolutely loved that conversation. It was just really, it was really refreshing to speak to someone who had an amazing perspective where she was valuing both her parenting and her teaching not exactly like equally like you know 50 50 but holding both of them um in their own like equitable value and and saying that these things are both valuable to me but there is a time and space for both and I think the beauty of that is that it really reduces any feelings of guilt that you may experience um even if you're not a parent, but as a teacher, any guilt you have of, you know, wanting to do things outside of school or wanting to 
not work this evening or wanting to like have a lie-in tomorrow and and go into school a little bit later like it's really positive to have that balance and again the word balance is really contentious because I know when people say balance they're thinking literally like 50 50 like both things are like the same weighting but balance is really whatever it means to you and I feel that Danielle's like version of balance, you know, really works for her family that she is, you know, still working hard and making a really good role model um, as a teacher, whilst at the same time being a really good role model and, and parent to her son as well. And, and, you know, I mean, the fact that, I mean, I know that many kids want to be whatever their parents are because, you know, we as children look up to our role models or, you know, whatever is familiar to us. And, you know, very often that's our parents um, when we're young. But, you know, for a young child to be like, you know what, that looks that looks decent, that looks fun. <laughs> Which I'm sure is not necessarily the words that a three-year-old would use. But that kind of like, actually, it is possible. It's possible to have the balance. It's possible to have the version of balance that works for you. And it is possible to be both a good parent and a good teacher um, at the same time or have that good life and good work and that each of them have their time and their space and by spending time not doing one of them it doesn't disvalue it at all. So we have got another awesome guest coming up shortly and I believe um, is already in the um, thing and she is so on it. I've sent you an invite by accident, Tamana, but hopefully we'll um, get you on in a sec. But in the meantime, I'm just going to um, read out our adverts um, for today. So one of the sponsors of this show is Oxford University Press. If you need support with your phonics teaching, um, Oxford University Press now have three Department of Education validated programs to help you. Read, write, including phonics, floppies phonics, and the brand new essential letters and sounds. Essential letters and sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. To find out more about these programs and receive support from your OUP expert local educational consultant, visit www.oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics so that is our advert for today and thank you so much to oxford university press for being one of our sponsors um i always panic when i'm reading adverts because i'm like what if i say it wrong (laughs) and i worry more about that than i do my actual like things that i'm saying but never mind so as we come up to our hour um I'm hoping that Tamana is able to um, join us. Uh, So Tamana Cameron is a um, teacher and is also a parent and is awesome for joining us today. And I'm hoping that not only can you hear me, but I can hear you. Are you there? Hi, Gemma. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Not at all. Fab. And before we go on, I just want to make sure I'm pronouncing your name correctly because that's always a bummer if someone tells you. Oh, that's okay. So I've had all sorts of versions of my name. It's actually Tamana Abdul Kareem, but um, I think on Twitter I've reduced it. People 
So I've just reduced it down to Tamana. So my first name is Tamana. Tamana, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I've noticed that oh, you, you've been in the in the um, studio for a little while. How have you found the show so far? Oh, it's been really great, actually. I've um, really enjoyed listening to the other speaker, the other guest speaker that you had, um, and seeing kind of how she creates balance in her life was really quite inspiring because I think um, what you said is everybody's balance is a little bit different. Um, it was a lovely kind of positive self, I suppose. Yeah, sorry, it's cutting out occasionally, but we're getting most of the words. So hopefully, um, hopefully the signal will be okay. So, what's your like parenting teaching situation at the moment? Okay, so I've got um, three children, um, so my hands are quite full. Um, <laughs> I'm working full time as well. I'm currently in the role of lead practitioner. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's it's quite busy at the moment. So I used to work part time previously. Um, and I say part-time four days and um, I changed roles and schools and moved full-time during COVID, which probably in hindsight was a little bit crazy, but I've survived it. So I'm working on thriving at the moment. Um, and I've got three children. So my eldest is 11 and then I've got my middle daughter who is eight years old and my youngest is just five. I'm also currently doing a master's which um on education and leadership which has added you know a different sort of uh, pressure I suppose but I'm quite fortunate in that I come from a very big Bangladeshi family um and everybody lives quite close by to me so I have a huge family and friend support network um and my husband works from home pre-COVID anyway um, it's just the kind of role that he has at the moment which has given us a lot more flexibility and support at home so it's a, it's a bit of a mixed one I think I so you I'm oh, yeah wordless because <laughs> I'm so impressed I mean like I said um, to Danielle you know I'm, I'm like hats off to anyone who does more than teaching so the fact that you are teaching full-time um, and got three kids and you're doing a master's like I'm just crazy Gemma that's all it is <laughs> I was gonna go with superwoman but okay crazy. I'll take superwoman off. actually <laughs> I mean what what's been how where am I gonna start I mean what what's been some of the challenges that you've faced being that you know starting a new role during COVID as well just kind of adds adds a whole extra level to it it does. I think um, I have to give you a little bit of context in order to answer that question, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I think um, so when I first had my eldest daughter, my first child, I was already at that point head of department. I was running a department of 14, 15 teachers who were so much more experienced than me. Um, I'd invested a lot into it I wasn't very good at creating boundaries for myself really at that point I suppose I was quite young quite ambitious I'm a bit of a perfectionist um, and I put everything into it and realized that actually it just wasn't it was okay for a little while but it wasn't sustainable um, from purely physical and mental health kind of perspective but more importantly I just I just felt like I wasn't enjoying my being a mum quite as much as I anticipated I would 
um, which took me by surprise because I am naturally quite a maternal person. But I suppose I was so invested in work and not trying to prove my worth. I I don't think that's ever been the case. I think it was just, uh, you know, if I've got if I've got a job to do, I have to do it to the best of my ability. Um, and at that point in my life, I had to review at what cost, essentially. So I stepped down from that position, changed schools, moved to a school that was a little bit closer to home, um, went um, down to second in department, then had my second child. Um, and then I suppose one of the challenges that I had at that point was, you know, I'd requested part-time work and by part-time I, I genuinely just meant four days um, and you know for for whatever reason it wasn't granted to me um, and I had to kind of contest that a few times uh, it wasn't given to me and I was put in a position after my youngest was born who's now five that if I wanted to go part-time four days I would have to relinquish my responsibilities and that for me was a huge personal and professional blow because for me I'd I, you know, I had, so to speak, proven my worth and, you know, my results were good. I was, you know, doing lots of things beyond my classroom. Um, all the children who I was responsible for were thriving and I couldn't really comprehend why I wasn't kind of granted that permission to work part time because I had three children and my husband's role at the time was um, shift work. So it was a little bit difficult because I felt I was doing so much of it on my own. Um, so that was one of the big challenges. It was a personal and professional kind of challenge. I did decide to relinquish my role because I had to prioritize having three children and just kind of creating that balance and space for myself. So when, when you know, I, I did that for a few years and in a nutshell, I was just a little bit bored. Um, I felt like I had, without sounding arrogant, more to offer. Um, mm. And I felt like, you know, I, I could do more, could make a bigger difference. And that was a big challenge. So I'd made a decision at that point that I was going to apply for something. And if I needed to do it full time, I would do it full time. And I would give myself 18 months to, to kind of test the waters. And if it didn't work, I would step back down again and try again as my children got older. Mm. Um, so I got the job pre-COVID and, and moved during COVID. And that, of course, was a huge challenge because I'd um, started at a new school, didn't really know any of the staff. We then moved to remote working. Um, and, I, you know, I was creating schemes of work for children I didn't know. I was engaging in meetings with staff that I didn't know. All of that was, I mean, everybody was really supportive and really kind and, you know, all of that. But it was difficult for everybody, I suppose. Um, so that was one of the challenges that I faced, really. But I feel like at the moment, for a long time, I felt like for the last 18 months or so, I suppose, I couldn't really judge the school and feel like I knew the culture of the school pre-COVID. So I felt like I needed to give, you know, although I'd given myself 18 months in the role before I, when I first got the job, I couldn't, I didn't think that was really fair to the school because I wanted to see what the school was like in its kind of natural state. And although we're moving more towards that, it's, you know, COVID hasn't completely gone and, you know, it's curriculums and everything are still being adapted. And so, yeah, it, it's one of the challenges really is, is creating balance between the two. I mean, it's been a challenge and it's been a huge blessing because I feel in, in the last 18 months in my new role, I've grown so much in terms of personally as well as professionally. 
I've done things I would never have thought I could do like this, for example. Um, I'm just trying to push myself out there and kind of patchwork my confidence back up again. So I feel like I got a little bit of catching up to do. Um, but like my mum said to me the other day, I don't need to, you know, be quick at it. I can, I can take my time. I suppose that's just my personality. I want to get back to where I was, um, essentially. So yeah, teaching remotely, I suppose, with was is was one of the challenges during COVID with three children at home. That was certainly a bit of a challenge. I, but I think Touchwood, I think we coped all right with it. It wasn't, it wasn't dire, shall we say? <laughs> that's really fascinating. Thank you for sharing your story. I mean. There's a few things that kind of call out to me there. I mean, especially, mm-hmm. you know, when you, you spoke about at the beginning, you know, that your your job was, you know, there wasn't many boundaries. It was just giving it your all, which certainly resonates with with how I approach teaching. Yeah. Um, and you're right. It's it's not a really sustainable method no. of working with or without um, kids. Um, but it's also actually really interesting, you know, that you, you had this challenge that you wanted to serve your home life as much as you could by going part time, but actually fulfilling, you know, how much you can give to your school and the fact that you were faced with a with a choice where you weren't able to maintain this particular leadership role whilst whilst going part time. And I'm sure that is a story that many people experience for for sure and I think one of the things that um in hindsight's 2020 isn't it you got 2020 vision I, I wish I'd reached out to people a lot more I wish my network was a little bit stronger my confidence was a different you know post maternity my confidence probably wasn't the greatest and I didn't have the courage um or the language or the know-how on how to address essentially what I would class as discrimination because, um, you know, I, I was shortchanged because I was getting the results that the school wanted and I was doing all the things I could do. But it was one of those where if I had to choose my family, you know, if I, if I was given the choice, my family would win hands down. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's not, you know, that's not a choice, uh, really. It's It goes back to what I was saying about perfectionism and when when you have that kind of high level anxiety about um lots of things and wanting to do well all the time I can't possibly do well in in my home life with all three children and my husband and my you know my mom and dad and my extended family I can't I can't potentially do all of that all of fulfill all of those roles well and fulfill the role of a teacher and a colleague and a friend really really well if I have to do both full time all the time. Um, so I, I had to find, you know, redefine my boundaries. And if that meant I had to relinquish my role, I did. And at the back of my head, I think I always had the confidence that I know I can jump back up when I need to. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here pretending that that confidence was all the way there and it was always steady. It certainly wasn't. Um, but, I think dig, digging deep, I knew it was there and I just had to keep pulling that kind of deep, dark thought back to the front, to the forefront of my head when, you know, I was changing nappies and thinking, oh my God, why am I, what, what's happening to my career? Because it felt at that point like it was perhaps unravelling um, because I'd, I, from my perspective, I'd worked so hard to build it up um, and I was made to choose between 
my three very beautiful children and and work. Um, so that was a that was a difficult time, and I think I've come stronger for it, to be honest, because I feel like I can I empathise a lot more with part time staff in my school, um, and, and and I can connect with them at a whole new level um, because of the experiences that I've had. Yeah. yeah. And and I think that word discrimination, I think, is is a fair word to use, really, because you know, and and particularly, I'm, I'm thinking like the the retention side of things. I suppose that how do schools expect to keep their best staff or their most experienced staff or the ones that are just you know giving so much to the school and the students are thriving with them if they're yeah. not willing to be at all flexible and you know, my work is is with setting boundaries for for mm-hmm. teachers and middle leaders in particular. And if if your employer can't even give you the permission to set those boundaries, it's really difficult as an individual to have the confidence to set those boundaries in yourself. And yet, the reality is, you know, teachers are human beings first. You know, we've got our our home life, we've got our our family, we've got our wider friends, and anything that nourishes us alongside that. Exactly. And schools have got to recognize that because if they don't I mean it will just continue with what's going on at the moment which is you know teachers leaving yeah I I think that's a huge um hugely accurate point about recruitment and retention because it is hard I mean I don't know how many jobs come up that are part-time um so I know that when you're in a school to request part-time is one thing it's probably a little bit easier than to find um a job that's outwardly kind of advertised as part-time but I think I think schools are really missing a trick because they are not holding necessarily good teachers because especially young mums who, who you know, they've got a newborn and it is a daunting task coming back into work and thinking, oh my God, I've forgotten everything. Um, we all feel like that after six weeks. If you imagine, you know, nine months or a year, it's really, really difficult. And then you've got the whole emotional side of it as well. And I, you know, my past experience is that actually schools need to do a lot more to support teachers coming back from maternity and support teachers who want flexible working because I I'm sure there's capacity there because other organizations do it businesses do it and you know they're still profitable um I know schools aren't necessarily businesses but we we can mimic good you know the good attributes I suppose of a business and allow for some flexibility yeah and I think that's a really fair point of, of that comparison you know businesses are able to do this and I think actually the um, lockdown and the pandemic has, has helped to highlight how flexible you know organizations actually can be and and schools have proven that they can be more flexible and you know I really hope in a way that this is the oh actually flexibility is plausible and actually you can still be a good teacher and an effective department if you've got um part-time teachers and I suppose it's not also just you know part-time it may just be like different times that you're starting during the day or being more flexible about time off you know if your kids have got like I don't know school plays or anything yeah yeah I mean what what apart from like the part-time what what do you think schools can be doing to support parenting teachers I, th- I think one of the things that sounds like a really simple thing and it's, it's really not I think like you know you touched on um what we did during COVID and the school that my children my two youngest ones go to actually my oldest as well now um they introduced parents evening on 
some technical platform um mm. and you could just log on remotely like I didn't have to rush back from work for example and head straight there and then head to another school it's just because for some reason or another everything ends up on the same day and it was so so difficult to do whereas one of the things that recently happened is I had open evening on the same day we had Ofsted ironically um uh, recently um and my children had parents evening that day as well. And, you know, my school were flexible and, you know, I, I, I snuck off into a little office and I could do all three appointments, 10 minutes each, 30 minutes, and I was done and I could go back to the open evening. And to me, sim- th- simple things like, you know, let's take the best learning. Yes, COVID was a very difficult, is a, still a very difficult time, but let's take from it the very best things that we, we've learned. So all the skills that we've developed in terms of um, technology and how we approach things and, you know, flexible working in, in, in certain structures, why don't we embrace that a little bit more? So just flexibility and things like that, um, you know, and, the, and, and I think empathy is a huge thing, hopefully, that, you know, we've all valued more during COVID, Um and just, uh, I, I think, I think in any organisation, empathy and compassion really is really quite important. And understanding, like you and your previous guest speaker said, you know, we are humans first. And you know, if I rock up to work and um, I've missed a deadline, and it, it is rubbish that I've missed a deadline, uh, and that's not my normal working pattern. There has to be a reason behind that. So. Perhaps go and ask that person is, you know, are you okay? And what has happened? This isn't your normal self. Like, how can we support you? You know, what's going on in your life that's brought that to you? Because we all have something else going on in our lives, whatever it might be, positive or negative, whether it's children or elderly parents or we're carers or, you know, whatever it might be, we've all got something else in our lives. And I think it's just recognizing that I'm human first is really important and the importance of human connection. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's it always surprises me how much that is the first thing very often that disappears out of, you know, the, the staff room, if you like. You know, we're surrounded by people. We go into the job to help people, um, even though they're, you know, kids. <laughs> and it, why, why is it that adult to adult that that disappears? And I appreciate that, you know, we're, we're stressed and, you know, very often overwhelmed. Um, But you're right, those, those soft skills of empathy and compassion um, can very often be lost and only really seem to pop up at the point where you're now crying in your cupboard and someone happens mm-hmm. to come in and find you whilst you're crying in the cupboard. Um, and by which point, that you know, it's a probably a little bit too late, really. Exactly. You know, somebody's exploded. And I think, you know, the whole concept of soft skills, almost just the notion suggests that it's not as important. And I would argue that mm. actually schools are centres where pupils, people are at the centre of everything that we do. And whilst we work relentlessly, and we ought to work relentlessly for children, um, sometimes I feel that it comes at the cost of my own children and my Mm. own welfare. And, um, you know, people forget teachers' mental well-being and teachers' progress. And, you know, we're very mindful about, you know, we have training on safeguarding and mental well-being for children, but very little other than, I, you know, tokenistic measures I suppose is done for teachers I think and I think I'm, I'm, you know that's a very broad statement to make but 
I think schools can be a little bit more mindful of the culture that they're creating within their schools to take care of their staff a little bit more because the teachers are, I don't say teacher, teaching teachers, teaching assistants, all teach, all um, sorry, adults in the building are your greatest resource in a, in a, in a school setting and um, just need to be a little bit more mindful of that, I suppose. I completely agree. And, and what you said about soft skills, I think, yeah, in a way we need to come up with something better than soft yeah. skills because soft <laughs> skills just kind of makes, uh, you know, you just kind of naturally know it and um, it's not really that important. Um, but what you said about, yeah, you know the the staff within a school being the greatest asset you're absolutely right and I know that maybe there'll be some school leaders out there that go yeah but you know we haven't got the the money to invest in teacher well-being you know we haven't got um whatever it might be to and the time to bring that in but again it goes back to the reality of if you don't care for your staff and don't care for your greatest asset they're going to walk out the door and yeah I think education has yeah, you sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, I was just going to say, I don't, I don't think it always comes down to cost or mm. you know resources because for me those are tokenistic measures. Like you know, you bring in a spa day and take everyone to a spa. Not that I've ever had one of those experiences, to be honest. But you know, or you bring donuts every Friday. Those, those are costly things. They, they cost the school money. But actually, having a conversation doesn't and doesn't take a long time. And it's just, you know, so how are your parents? How are your children? Not, you know, what are your results showing all the time? I think those are free and they don't take a lot of time and effort. It's just conversations. Getting to know your staff as people, I think, is really, really powerful. Um, and I would value that so much more than a donut and I anybody who knows me knows that I like donuts but I would still appreciate somebody saying you know I heard that you you know last time we had a chat you said that your dad has been unwell what's the update on that and to me that stays with me so much more than the sweetness of you know a chocolate or, or, or a donut so it doesn't have to be costly at all that's a really good really good comparison the sweetness of actually yeah that conversation rather than the sweetness of a donut or, or whatever. I mean, we had Cake Friday at my school, which was always yeah. great. It was always a nice <laughs> highlight, but it was also a, this is a stick in plaster. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, you've, you've given us loads of thoughts about like what schools can be doing to, um, you know, support their parenting teachers. I'm not sure what to say parenting teachers or teaching parents. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> quite sure which version <laughs> of that to go with. But what advice would you give to, an individual who is, is both a parent and a teacher, what can they do to help themselves? I think there's lots of little things to do. I think, I think we, in, in, you know, in any conversation, we often talk about my role as a parent and my role as a teacher. And I always very selfishly argue that before all of that, there's me. Um, and I need to look after me before I can be an effective parent and before I can be an effective teacher. Um, you know, and I've said this to people before and they look at me like, oh my God, you're selfish. And I, I genuinely am not, but I just think I can't fill other people's cups until my own is filled. Um, so, you know, simple things like reading a book, having a bath, going for a walk, going to the gym, listening to a podcast, listening to music, whatever it is that keeps me happy is also really important. And it's really important not to lose who I am in between those two identities as a parent and a teacher and to me, that's the starting point. Um, you know, so I, I try and schedule in 
haven't been very good recently, but I try to schedule it, schedule in, you know, when I'm going to, like, I love going to the theatre. I, I like to book tickets in advance. Um, or if I'm going to see a show, I've, I've got it, you know, that those, those are my set things that I'm going to be doing. And simple things like going to the gym, my own physical and mental well-being. Um, and I, I, you know, that that's really important. And then to, to create the balance is recognising that the job, neither job, as a parent or a teacher is ever done. Um, and you are never going to be perfect at it. And, you know, that, that's a hard pill for me to swallow as somebody who is, you know, um, a perfectionist, really. Um, and my 80% is going to be good enough. If I do it with love and compassion and understanding and with good intention, um, I think my 80% sometimes is going to have to be good enough. Sometimes I can push it to 90%. Sometimes it's going to drop a little bit and that's okay. I cannot sustain everything at 100%. Um, I think one of the other things is is about recognizing what your negotiables are and what your non-negotiables are um, on both. So at school, for example, most people know that I'm kind of one of the last ones in and the first ones out. Um, I, I just have to, you know, I, I choose to drop my daughter off at a bus stop. She goes on a bus to her secondary school. Um, and they know that, 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 you know, generally that's not, I, I can't really move that around because I don't have a choice in that. But if that means I have to work in the evenings to kind of make up that time, I do that. That's not a problem because, you know, I work with integrity. Um, so there's some things that are, I can't negotiate and some things that are negotiable, of course. Um, and it's the same with at home. Like I'm fairly firm with my children in terms of, you know, just routines in the house really, because I come home from work, my husband comes home from work and we've got a preteen and two younger ones. And between the five of us, we can be a little bit messy. So I've got, you know, places for your shoes, places for your bags, places for your lunch bags. This is where your homework goes, all of that. And if I, if I'm not, if I'm not, if I don't have my finger on the pulse about things like that, it just becomes, life becomes a big heap of a mess. So I have to, A, create systems that work for the whole family and B, try and get everybody to buy into that. So, you know, it, my, my all, all three of my children know like where their coats go and where their shoes go. And it might sound like something that's not a big deal, but I don't want to come into my uh, fairly small house and find shoes in the wrong place. And because it, that, that takes up time from family time. Um, and if everybody does the little things that they can do, then everything runs a lot smoother. The system works a lot, you know, is a, is fairer, but it just operates a lot, um, more effectively, I suppose. So we, we try and all of us try and get involved in terms of the cooking and the cleaning, um, you know, reading to each other. So when I can't listen to my children read, I'm an English teacher. Um, and I probably shouldn't say this publicly, but I can't sometimes hear all three of my children read in the evening. I don't have enough hours in the day. But if I can get my eldest daughter um, to listen to my son, for example, my youngest, he's still being heard. And that's OK. That's giving her that position and that power and that responsibility. Um, and he's, you know, he, he's he's been read to and, and has read in the evening. So it's kind of using everybody as much as we can as a network. And it's... A, it is as cliched as it sounds is a big team effort. Um, I, I, I get that they're children and they're not the parents and they're not going to do things like I'm going to do it. And, you know, I'm responsible. Me and my husband are both responsible for cooking and cleaning, but actually part of 
their development, I think, is teaching them responsibility for themselves, for each other, for us as parents. You know, I've come home from school and I'm tired and I don't want to come home to a big pile of mess. So let's all work together to make things easier for everybody, really. And that's me. I mean, that sounds, it's it's that little things. And I think that's a really valuable message for people to take is that you don't have to overhaul everything and it's not a huge um, ex, uh, additional effort to to make the world of, of parenting and teaching work for you. And I really, you know, I really value the fact that actually your children are part of your support network. Um, not that they are like, you know, responsible, but like that they are a valued member of that and that everyone can chip in. I think that's a really um, valuable thing to bring forward. And actually what you said um, at the beginning about, you know, you've got to fill your own cup because how are you going to serve other people? You know, how do you serve your students? How can you serve your family? I think is a really, really significant and um, brilliant thing to, to bring forward and raise um, because, yeah, how are you meant to do that? How, you know, we're not infinite beings. We have to do our bit for ourselves before we can serve. And that, that isn't selfish. I mean, that is not selfish at all. That is, um, I mean, not to strip it all the way back, but, you know, that's, that's kind of basic survival in a way. Like how are we supposed yeah. to... Um, survive and flourish as an individual um, you know and then flourish and and serve and help others in in the different aspects of our lives I think is a a really important thing to raise. I think when I was younger I always thought it was selfish and as I'm aging and with more experience I'm thinking it's not it's the central part of who I am Um, and actually it's my my children need to see me as not just mum Um, I will always be mum, but they need to see who I am and I mustn't forget who I am. Um, And one day, you know, hopefully they've got strong enough wings to fly the nest. And, you know, at some point in my career, I will retire. Um, And at that point, it's going to be too late to discover who I am. I mean, I can discover new aspects of who I am, but I think it's really important to sustain that kind of your own personal interest and your own personal identity and not get lost in in the gap in between. Yeah, I think that is um, amazing. I really want to thank you so much. I would love to keep talking, but we are unfortunately coming to the end of the show. But thank you so much. It's been amazing to speak with you. And um, yeah, I hope it keeps being awesome. Thank you very much. (laughs) See you soon. Bye. Take care. Bye. So that was Tamara Karim, who has um, three kids and is also a lead practitioner in her current school and working full time and doing a master's, literally superwoman. So that is really brilliant. Uh, We've also got a message from um, Catherine. So thank you so much for your message. that you are was an O-level candidate but did do maths GCSE by self-tuition in order to get into PGCE. Congratulations. I'm glad that you found the GCSE much more accessible. That's amazing. 
So thank you so much for joining me on this Drive Home show this afternoon. Um, apologies for the sketchy start, but it's come together really nicely. Thank you so much to my guests, uh, Tamana Karim and Danielle West. It's so super to hear from you. Later this evening, we have got Libby Isaac at eight o'clock. And my show next week is going to be focused on middle leaders. So if you know any middle leaders who want to talk about their experiences um, or want to um, you know, chat about what it's like being a middle leader um, in school, then send them my way. I am on Twitter at Gemma underscore Drinkle, and I look forward to that show next week. In the meantime, guys, have an amazing Tuesday. If it's on replay, I hope you have an amazing day, whatever day it is, and I'll see you again again soon. Bye.